beautiful souls, here's a preview from this episode's interview. I thought I could outsmart and outdistance myself, right? Outsuccess myself from my trauma and my start in life. But every time I looked in the rearview mirror, it was there and I would get triggered and derailed from flourishing. And that was when I realized I have to deal with the darkness and the pain and the suffering that I'm carrying with me. Otherwise, I will not ever taste flourishing very much. Before we dive into today's episode, I want you to take a deep breath in and a deep breath out. Feel a massive waterfall of unconditional love surrounding you in all directions and filling you. That's your angels making their presence known. Your angels want you to ask for what you want and for their help. And know you are always held. Friends, if you need help holding oneness energy, the highest vibration that is, I'm hosting a three-week live oneness course starting March 1st. Register today at theangelmedium.com backslash shop. Or if you're ready to develop your gifts of mediumship, bringing through angel messages and energy healing all at once, sign up for my Angel Reiki School today at theangelmedium.com. Now, know that whatever resonates with you in today's episode is a message just for you from your angels. Hello, beautiful souls. Welcome back to the Angels and Awakening podcast. I'm your host and author, Julie Jancis. And friends, today we have on a guest. And once you get into the, the middle of this episode, by the end of this episode, you're going to be like, Julie, I know exactly why you had Corey on the show today. Um, friends, so much of what I've been seeing, feeling in my sessions with folks over the last five years is all within in Corey Key's uh, study, you know, the, the scientific research that he's done and the book that he's written called Languishing. And I, I really hope that what you take away from this interview today is that there is a rut that a lot of us have fallen into and we can very easily fall into it again within life, but there is another way to live. And this is all just like amazing. I, I wish every healer, life coach, therapist had this book on their bookshelves because my God, you're doing amazing work in the world, Corey. Thank you, Julie. I appreciate it. And thank you for having me on. Yeah, of course. So let's start here. Um, I think I first read your New York Times article that came out uh, about languishing. This was years ago, um, I think in the middle of COVID. But languishing isn't a COVID-related thing. Can you tell everybody what languishing is? And for those who might have seen that New York Times article too, it's around and it's here to stay, languishing. Yes. No, it was not a COVID thing. And I, I, I think we can come back to it, why it was so well received. 
especially during that period. But to really do it justice, I think we have to go beyond the word meh or blah. And I think that's, I want to really prevent the world from thinking just in those two words, because it doesn't do it justice. It's not like you're just, been, you've been around three rainy days and it's, you're just feeling blah. It's not like you're bored and it's not like you're, you're disin, um, you're, well, disinterested might be. You're not depressed though. It's not no. depression. No, in fact, if, if you were to look early on in my book, there's the 14 questions that I, I developed to measure, but especially to diagnose the presence of good mental health, which I call flourishing. And languishing is the absence of at least seven out of the 14 signs of flourishing. So to be languishing is to, to rarely feel, for instance, that your life ha has purpose or meaning. On top of that, you may feel like you don't belong and have a community where, where you have a sense of belonging. And on top of those two things, you might be feeling that you, you don't contribute anything of worth and value. And then there's a couple more. You might be not like most parts of who you are, your personality. You might not be accepting. You may have very low autonomy, which is the you lack confidence to think and express your own ideas and opinions. And you might lack warm and trusting relationships. And on top of that, and you might not be feeling emotional well-being. And I measure that by, did you feel happy, satisfied, or interested in life? So languishing is a constellation of a combination of things. It's not just feeling the absence of happiness or, sat or satisfaction. It's those things that go into life that make it meaningful or worthwhile. Purpose, belonging, contribution, acceptance, and growth, and confidence, and things like that. So to languish is to have a real serious deficit of what makes life good. So just to put this into perspective for people, I've been feeling this within my sessions where some people just have this energetic, uh, everybody's got this life force energy and you can feel that within them. And some people's feel very vibrant and full and some people's feel just depleted. And it's not a depletion in a way where you could just go do some self-care, take a bath, have a weekend to yourself and come back. Um, I think some people describe it as a rut or a funk, or I'm just kind of in this cloud for a longer period of time. But, you know, in your book, you, you said a couple of times, it's not depression. And I think that this is the curiosity that your book covers that I've never seen before, which is, okay, there's things out there that we're experiencing waves of energy, but we don't have words for them yet. And so I love that languishing gives us some vernacular vocabulary to be able to say, this is where I'm at. Because if you can't see where you're at on the map, how do you get out of it? How do you get to the point at which you want to be? Yeah, languishing, is, I, I chose that word because I think of human beings much as I think of anything that was put on this planet. We were planted mm -hmm. and we're everything planted here is it should, should grow yeah. and be generative and give. 
And when, when there's something that happens when you stop feeling alive and people talk about this, they start to feel like they're dying inside Mm -hmm. or they're disappearing. It's as if you're, you're sort of walking dead. Yeah. This emptiness is a very haunting place because I've been there many times. I experienced it in my teen years. It's a very interesting place because you know something isn't right with you in the way you're and the way you're living here. You're not alive. You're not growing where you're planted. And I also have heard people talk about this in very religious terms, talking about their soul, like it's been wounded or there's a, a like their soul has been carved out and it's empty. I didn't talk too much about that in the book because I, I just, but that there's a quote of, from a woman who was interviewed in an Oprah episode and, and used that language. And I thought that was intriguing because I know what that feels like. Something in the soul is where meaning and mattering and all those things that go in, into flourishing, that's where it resides because that's our spirit. And when we have flourishing, I agree with you. We, it exudes, it gives, it's generative. A hundred percent. Now, this is something that just stunned and fascinated me when I read your book. And I think that this is just going to knock people off in their chairs. You are the first person to study mental health and everybody else is sitting there studying mental illness. Mm -hmm. And what you say is what you put your attention on grows. And so here we are as a society putting 99.999% of our attention onto mental illness. And, and, and we have seen that. I mean, I was a baby of the eighties and I have just watched as the mental illness has just not gotten us to a place of peace, of feeling fulfilled, of feeling alive and that vibrancy. So you come into this field and I need to hear this backstory and you start to study mental health and this is shifting everything how did you make that determination and and go in that direction i have always been attracted to things that much of the world takes for granted or considers unimportant and therefore remains invisible and i know that invisibility myself personally so I was like you, I was really shocked when I was a graduate student and I wanted to study the presence and absence of good health and nobody had studied it. There wasn't even a measure like it for mental health. Every mental health was an empty category. It was the absence of mental illness. And I, I thought to myself, that cannot be enough. Yeah. And I, and I know personally, um, being free of problems does not mean you're suddenly full with joy and goodness and functioning well in life. Hi. 
Have you ever listened to the radio where the DJ calls listeners at random? That's what we're going to start to do here. Only it's me calling you to give you a free angel reading. Starting now, I'm going to call and bring through messages for one new listener every week. But first, I need your phone number. To sign up, all you have to do is rate this podcast five stars and give me your contact info over at theangelmedium.com backslash gift. Look for my name popping up on your phone and get ready for messages from your angels. Want to watch me make those calls? Follow me on Instagram at angelpodcast. And so, no, it's not hyperbole to say that nobody before me studied mental health. And I was told, serious scholars, Corey, study serious things. Mental illness is serious. And I thought to myself, well, mm, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Don't get me wrong yeah. to listeners. I know mental illness personally. I write about it as part of my journey in, in the book with depression and PTSD. Yeah. But it's simply not the place. Being free of problems is simply, I never thought was enough. Yeah. And so that started a, this journey. Well, if you were going to take that on and make it visible, what would you ask people? Mm. And that's where a scientist starts to dis try to discover something that's been invisible. For us social and psychological scientists, we have to find the right questions. Like yeah. an astronomer needs a, every astronomer needs a powerful telescope to go out there and discover the universe. We make discoveries too, just like astronomers, except our telescope is the right questions. And those 14 questions were part of, I didn't create all of those questions, but I pulled together a variety of literatures and theories and views of health. Yeah. And, and then tested whether it worked. And so I was surprised and I and it was not an easy place to be. The world, I want to say this to people because I realized early in my career that we're born into a world where people who have come before us have defined what's important and gets the world's attention. Mm -hmm. the same token. They also have defined for us what's unimportant and what remains invisible. Mm -hmm. As soon as I started trying to move in the direction of mental health as something positive, there were scholars who took it upon themselves to try to destroy the very thing we were doing because it was like, if you put attention over here, you're taking attention from what I consider important. I don't see the world that way. It's not a zero-sum game, but we scholars can be really, really competitive. And I was like, I was shocked sometimes, the things that people said to say that this was unimportant, you're wasting your time. And yet, there's a part of me that my past created a fierce determination to prove the world wrong. Yeah. They were Thank wrong. God. Yes. Well, they were wrong about me. I'm, I'm not something you can throw out and you can beat up and just say, you're worthless. Yeah. I fought that all my life, my past. 
And by the same token, I was not going to be told what to study. Yeah. So I have to read this part because it just sums it all up for me. If we could cure all mental illness tomorrow, it would not put us where we need to be. There is no there. The absence of mental illness does not mean the presence of good mental health. Good mental health is not a null category. It is filled with the ingredients of flourishing, purpose in life, belonging, contribution to society, acceptance of oneself, acceptance of others, warm and trusting relationships, autonomy, personal growth, and more. Flourishing is filled with the things that make life worth living, that bring quality to whatever quantity of life we are granted. Wow. I just love hearing the words. There's something about, I will never grow tired of hearing and thinking about the questions that go into flourishing. Yeah. And if anything comes from my book, people will start to think about those things you just read, the purpose, the belonging, the contribution, the autonomy, the mastery, the growth. And, and, and to be mentally healthy is to have a sufficient quantity of those things, Yeah. right? So yes, it people can be free of mental illness. And, and in a typical year, Julie, in most countries, no more, and this is really rounding up, no more than 20% of a population will have a mental disorder. And you would think by definition, that means 80% are mentally healthy. And no, there's not that much flourishing in, in almost any country in the world or any population. What would you say the percentage is on Americans who are languishing? You know, because if I put a percentage on it with the number of the sessions that I work with right now, I'd say it's at least between 33 to 44%. Like it's a high number. Yeah. Well, I can tell you just in teenagers, mm -hmm. we found that by middle school, 40 to 50% are languishing. And then it goes up another 10% among our high schoolers. Wow. It should be shocking to the world. And I, th these data are not new, but it's, it, it should be shocking that that being an adolescent, at least in our country, but it's probably true in many others, is the period where, where there is the highest level of languishing. And that's not good. It's not a good place to be because even in middle school, ages 12 to 14, if you're languishing, you're already engaging all kinds of forms of delinquency. You're already choosing a path that is not the path most teachers or parents would want for you. Right. And other things go wrong as well. And then at the end of life, Julie, it goes up dramatically. If you live long enough, and we, we are living long enough, past ages of roughly 70 to 75, languishing skyrockets again. It's really high at the beginning and the end of life. Throughout adulthood, it declines, and then it goes back up at the end of life. So many places I want to go here. One of the things that just popped into my head to say is I read a lot, but I could never imagine just reading one book. And it still is just mind-blowing what you said earlier, that so many people felt competitive with this subject because you need to understand 
both. It's just so clear from the outside looking in. One of the things that you write here is fight for your flourishing. So when you speak the word flourishing, flourishing is the exact opposite of languishing. How do we begin to fight for our own flourishing? Well, that we could talk about some of those five vitamins as one way, but what I was referring to there um, is the fact that um, many of us have some painful experiences, very painful experiences that have formed us and that we carry with us throughout our lives. I talk about my own and the fact of the matter is I thought I could outsmart and outdistance myself, right? Outsuccess myself from my trauma and my start in life. But every time I looked in the rear view mirror, it was there and I would get triggered and derailed from flourishing. So it's one thing to start focusing on flourishing and we'll talk about the five vitamins, but for mo- many of us, and I w- it, w- it happened to me, I had a really momentous moment where I almost decided that I no longer belonged here and I was going to end my life. And that was when I realized I have to deal with the darkness and the pain and the suffering that I'm carrying with me. Otherwise, I will not ever taste flourishing very much. And that's my recommendation. Part of the fight is the face I had to face and work through the things that my trauma left inside of me, the sense that I didn't belong, that I was worthless. I shouldn't be kind to myself. Nobody loves me, really. And you can't ever achieve enough. They will never be satisfied. You can, your whole worth is in what you produce. Yeah. And no, it's, it, I had to face that. And that was a hard, and I, I fought and it fought and pushed back. And I fought and it pushed back. And I'm still working on it, listeners. I'm still every week. One, and now I'm down to one once a week. I go to trauma therapy. Wow. Well, and I think we have to give people, if it's okay, some parts of your, your backstory because you have survived so much throughout your life. And, you know, not that it's a comparison in any way, shape or form, but I read your story and uh, I didn't go through anything nearly as hard, but I know my own pain and how much it's, it's just encompassed so much of my life, but you had it where your mom left and your dad was raising you. You had a stepmom that came in, they had a move and uh, she was really the full-time caregiver. Your dad was gone abusing alcohol and um, it was your your step uncle who realized that something was really, really going wrong in your household mm-hmm. and your, your stepmom was hurting you and your sister. And so God bless that earth angel of a step uncle. He went yeah. and he found your, your biological grandparents and said, somebody has got to get these kids out of this house. Exactly. Wow. Yes. So, um, and I must say that finally meeting my biological mother was that left yeah. 
a deep scar as well, because I didn't, I wasn't prepared for her to show up with an intact family, three children and a husband. Because uh, to tell your listeners, I was not, I was a newborn. I just, shortly after being brought home, my mother decided I, she just left. And it, my sister of two was two years older than I, two of us just must have sat there for days. And finally, and my grandmother was calling thinking, well, she's not getting an answer because, um, well, my mother must be busy with us and doing other things. So after about the third or fourth day of calling, she thought something's not right. So she comes over and realizes we had been left for days. Then my grandmother tells me the story. Well, you had pneumonia as an infant, barely two weeks old. Most, and you made it, Corey. You made it. And, and I must say, I wish my grandmother and I were so close. She told me that story because I was really having a difficult time. I, I don't, I'd been adopted at age 12, around 14. My grandfather died. He had emphysema and 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 and, and enlarged heart and I was devastated I didn't have enough time with them I wanted them they were so good to us yeah and she told me that story because she wanted me to know Corey you you are so much stronger than you realize but that was a painful memory as well Mm -hmm. so we each have our stories now I'm not trying to get into a, a suffering um Olympics here your pain, everyone, listen, dear listener, your pain is yours and real. Yeah. You're, and languishing itself is a painful experience. You, and, and it's trying to tell you something has to change in your life. Listen to it, but to work through it, because you cannot, at least I learned, you cannot get to the other side by going around yes. whatever, whatever, <laughs> you can't, no, right. no, no detours here. And I tried them. Trust me, I tried them. No detours. Yeah. You have to look it down and say, you don't own me anymore. You're not going to define me anymore. And that takes time. Those pain, the painful things. So we all have these pain points and all of the pain points that you just talked about were moments that you referred to in the book that led you to a point of languishing within your life. And then you get to this point where you think to yourself, okay, well, well, you've done all of the work on it, but all of the rest of us, we want to take those steps to mental health. Mm -hmm. And you talk about so many different pathways to this. So I want to talk about a couple of them, but one of them is purpose. And one of the things that I have just come to believe from all of my work is that purpose is something that is kind of co-created between us and the other side. I don't believe that God universe source comes through parts, the clouds in the skies and says, Corey, Mm -hmm. this is your purpose. Go out and do great work at it. I believe that a lot of people though, are waiting for that moment in order to begin really living their lives. However, we choose our purpose just as much as our purpose 
chooses us. Um, I heard Jay Shetty the other day say something that just so resonated. He said the best advice that he had heard in his life was that he should walk through any open doors that are right in front of him. And I thought, my God, that is the way to your purpose because God opens up these doors. And when we say yes to them, we walk through them. And then the next door opens up and the next door after that, and the next door after that. But so many people are waiting to, um, and I think for some reason, um, society portrays it this way. Like, like our purpose is supposed to come to us. We see that in books and movies and entertainment. Do you believe that we choose it? I do in the sense, well, yes, in, in, in part, because I invite the reader early on in that chapter to answer two very simple questions. And if you can't say yes to at least one, at least the first one, then just admit that this... Don't think about purpose right now. For some reason, it's not your place right now. And don't even bother because the point here is purpose comes down to choosing to help someone, something in this world. Yeah. And help them and focus on their well-being or its well-being. I'm, I'm, so it doesn't have to be people. It could be the environment. It could be, right? Animals. Yes, it, it could. But... That chapter has a lot to do with, before I even talk about purpose, all you have to do is, if you want to walk on this path out of languishing and practice one of the vitamins, choose once a week, at least, to devote a part of your day to helping someone or something. Yeah. If you want to up the ante, take on a, a volunteer role where there's commitments and do more of that. And perhaps... You've been toying with the idea of saying, I want to dedicate a part of my life to, to something that you see as your cause mm -hmm. and take that on. Then you're starting to think, in my way of thinking of purpose, you're starting to think about living your purpose. Because to me, we, can, we all can take on a cause. We all can help somebody. We could all volunteer. You choose whatever you want to do, but you don't have to get stuck on purpose because I think we think too big. Yeah. To me, I've learned that to keep it small, keep it local. You're not going to solve problems halfway around this world, even though your heart goes out to right. And my heart goes out. I'd love to solve some of the problems that are going on in this country, that country. And I feel for people, but I have to work where I can make a difference. And that's right here, right now, wherever in my community, my neighborhood, wherever. So to me, if you can't say yes, do, do I want to help something or someone? And then second, do I have what it takes? Mm. Call it skill, talent, whatever. And here's the thing, Julie, I don't think a lot of people believe they have anything of worth that would be useful to the world Why? and help others. And Why? That, I don't get that. But that's where we have to meet them. Yes. I, I know where that, I know that feeling. I was created by experience before I was adopted to feel I was worthless, useless, a piece of trash. And yeah, that's the world telling you a story that isn't yours. 
that wasn't my story, but that's the one I lived for a long time. And suddenly I was blessed. You may not have, but I was transplanted into a home that was just the opposite. And suddenly I blossomed. I went from detention and delinquency to honor roll student, quarterback, choir, because I was transplanted in a home with love and safety and all the good things that we all need. I know what that feels like to get the wrong message. That is where you have to fight for flourishing. You have to understand that that's the world telling you a story that isn't yours. Yours is to be made. And I had to live that and work through the pain because I wanted to tell my story and yeah. live my life, not what the past had done to me. That's why I talk. That's what guided me through this whole journey to be this, the creator. And yes, there's something spiritual and, and godlike in the world to co-create the life I was put here to live. So speak to those people that are out there who don't feel that value and that worth and maybe haven't found that loving, adoptive, heartfelt center yet. I didn't write about this directly in, in, in a book, but to me, spiritual and religious communities are places where that can when it's done well, happen mm -hmm. and should happen. That's the story. That's the story of Jesus as I understand it. Unconditional love and acceptance. And, and when we are practicing the real faith, we welcome everyone. So that may not be formal religion for you. And I would... I recommend if you want to try that, find the place where you see the most love practiced and go there. Don't wait for it to come to you. I always had to go out in the world and find what I needed. After my grandparents taught me, this is the stuff I, I, you need to live. You've got to find it. Or there's spiritual communities. We have one. We have a membership that meets weekly. Yes. Yeah. Now, there, I don't know where I've, I must say, I struggle, Julie, to think well, what other places might practice that. Maybe some volunteer communities, mm -hmm. right? But when we throw out spirituality and religion, we throw out a lot of places where love and acceptance can be and should be, I should say, practiced. So this brings me to the perfect point. I want to read another passage of yours because I, I thought that this is just so touching. When belief wanes, when I stopped relying on my once deep spiritual approach to life about eight years ago, anger, resentment, a hunger for apologies once again took over my life. My wife and I moved into a smaller one-story home to age and place. I left behind my beloved yoga studio where I'd been practicing yoga for 20 years, and suddenly I lost my spiritual community. Instead of trying to find a replacement for that loss, I stopped doing yoga. Soon enough, I felt increasingly unappreciated at work, 
I traveled the world giving invited talks and had thousands of citations, the currency of intellectuals, yet my university gave me only temporary three-year endowed professorship. I felt damned by faint praise. I became self-centered. As my ego expanded, my spiritual life shrank. That change happened gradually. I think that's interesting. You Mm -hmm. don't realize you're falling down on the dimension of divinity until it's almost too late. Wow. Just hearing you talk about, I can remember that realization as if it was yesterday. And wow, it brought tears to my, to my eyes. Because to me, um, there's so many other benefits of, but to spirituality and religion. But the one that I talk about a good deal in that chapter is it's shrinking the ego, the self-centeredness, and encouraging us to be the better kind of person we're all possible of becoming. That I I always found so attractive about religion. I, I almost became a priest after my freshman year, where I talk about in the book. I almost flunked out my first year because I my grade point was two point zero one. If I'd fallen below two point I would have been on probation. And I spent the summer in reflection. Um, and I was either going down to seminary in Chicago or I was going back to university with a different approach. And I remembered a class I had taken on psychology and it, it's, it stirred up something really good. And I thought I could do both of those things. I could have sort of my, my mission, my pulpit, the things I want to profess to the world and tend to people through my research. And that's actually what I see this flourishing and languishing is all about. It is, to me, a very spirit-filled project that's scientifically based. And to me, it melded the best of both worlds, but I never left behind that hunger, that hunger to to walk on on a on ground that's sacred and create places and things that are sacred and special mm-hmm. where we acknowledge the fact that this is where goodness resides. Yeah. You know, there there's only so many ways in which you can help, right? And I'm not trying to push this or promote it. It's just like from the center of my heart, the reason that we created this membership was for people to be able to connect and have that community and have that daily spiritual practice and have access to just everything that they needed. And I got to tell you, we had about 15 people this year write in and say, Julie, I was in for the first couple of years of the membership, and then I stopped last year and I'm coming back because I noticed a huge shift in my life when I just have this accountability and this community and the support. And I think that that's touched my life and made me more proud than than anything else that I've done because that's what I need myself. And I've always just created things that I've needed in the world that were just lacking and and not there. But uh, 
you know, I started this conversation with you today saying, you know, are you having a flourishing day or a languishing day? And you're like, well, there's a bit of, you know, both in in every day. Um, But I think that we have to change the language and you're helping the various spiritual communities and mental health communities come together in a way that speaks new languages. And and I hope that we're saying to to one another more so, not how are you doing, but when we see each other every day, where are you languishing today? Where are you flourishing today? Yeah. Yeah. What a wonderful question, because it also, um, that, that question then encourages people to see where and what they're doing that may not be feeding their spirit, their flourishing. That, that, because it reminds me of when I had to take a, a step back and go into treatment. I, I underwent cognitive behavioral therapy. And it's a very detailed approach. Every time you, you have an experience that it provoked emo- an emotion, you write about it and you point it out and what was going on and how you what you thought. And it helps you see patterns where where things trigger really negative, distorted thoughts. Mm-hmm. By the same token, we could be doing just the opposite of oh wait, where did you, where what were you doing when you were flourishing today? What what was going on, Ooh. and what were you doing when you were languishing today? Oh, I love that. Uh, and and begin to create a sort of like a, the same kind of journal that I had to do for for months that helped me create a user manual <laughs> for yeah. me and what I needed to do more of and 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 also what I needed to protect myself from. Mm-hmm. What a wonderful way to ask people and just say, and leave it at that. And just to say, yeah. Yeah, what's making you flourish today? Yeah. I love that. Wow, what a different world this would be. I wrote down here a couple of times as I was reading through your book, this man is changing the world. This man is changing the world. I don't even think he knows how much he's changing the world. And and I'm just so appreciative of your work and the human being that you are and that you stuck with us and life in what you're creating. You're an earth angel, Corey. Thank you. I write about my angels in my book, and especially my acknowledgement, they're what um, Joseph Campbell called the magic helpers. We have them here too. Everyone needs those earth angels and those magic helpers. I needed them and I talk about them in my book and I acknowledge them in my acknowledgement. Yeah, tell everybody what you believe about those magic helpers. Well, that they help you continue the journey through a lot of dark dark, hard, painful experiences, because that journey is part of what he called it the hero, right? The hero's journey, right? That we're all heroes in the end. We're all the architects of our own story. And we have to stop stop living the stories that were implanted in us by a world that didn't really know us. Mm-hmm. And we will need angels and magic helpers along the way. Boy, I I did. Amazing. I love that. I love that. I love that. I love that. 
Corey, you have to tell everybody where to find your book. And I'm just going to say this. If you are a life coach, a healer, helping, serving people in any way, shape or form um, in the wellness community, this is a must read book so that you can help people as much as you can and serve as much as you can. Um, and it's a great book for anybody out there who feels like they're languishing, their kids are languishing, their husband, their partner is languishing. I mean, this is really going to turn the tide um, and create a huge energetic shift. Where can people find you and where can they find the book? And we'll put all that in the show notes below. There's, um, of course, the book, it can be found at a variety of outlets and all of which, you know, the Barnes Noble, Amazon, you name it. And of course, it's it, published by Crown, which is an imprint of Penguin Random House, a wonderful publisher. And and they have a website for me as well, languishingbook.com, where you can find out a little bit more about the book or, or order it. it. It will come out um, February 20th. And um, you can always find me online, of course. Perfect. Is that coreykeys.com? No, I don't have. I'm, I'm such a little little luddite. I should probably have my own, a website by now, but I don't. <laughs> <laughs> but, no worries that's refreshing i've never had a guest not have a, a website to share that's a beautiful thing no i i agree i yes um we'll see how that goes i may not <laughs> no worries that's perfect thank you Corey, so much for your time and for being here well you're more than welcome and thank you for having me julie Friends, your angels asked me to do a little teaching here at the end of each episode in February about manifestation because they say that when it comes to you co-creating within your own life, you're missing a step that 98% of humanity is missing this step. So they want to give it to you. But first, I want to let you know something. I wish I would have called the Angel Reiki School, the Angel Reiki Mediumship School, but that name was too, too long, right? Um, friends, the Angel Reiki School is not just a place where you learn Reiki energy healing. In fact, it's really not about learning energy healing at all. The Angel Reiki School is the place where you go to develop your gifts in mediumship, being able to bring through angel messages from the angels to other people, to learn Reiki and other energy healing modalities, and to learn how to, if you want, don't have to, a lot of people come through the Angel Reiki School simply to build out their gifts, to understand their gifts, develop their God-given unique spiritual gifts to the max. But a lot of people also come through the Angel Reiki School to develop a business of their own and to get that certification so that they know what they're doing when they're working with other people. Friends, an entire new uh, class of the Angel Reiki School begins March 1st online. If you are looking to go through the Angel Reiki School, now is the time. Sign up for a discovery call with me. The link is in the show notes below. I'm going to help you get where you want to be as a healer or with your own unique spiritual gifts in the Angel Reiki School. All right, friends, here is the deal when it comes to manifestation. Spirit is saying right now, they just keep flooding in this message that 98% of humanity 
looks to manifest, right? Like they want to manifest something. They know that they want to go in a direction. They get that clarity on that direction. They create the vision board. They see it within their mind. They're visioning it within their mind. And then they stop. That's where their efforts stop. And the angels say there is a huge piece to this puzzle that you are missing. So that piece is when you vision, you have this clarity, I want to do X. You get the vision, you create the vision board, whatnot. It doesn't stop there. That's when we activate our intuition even more. Um, Prayer as well. The angels always say prayer and intuition are really the same thing. They're both forms of communication with the other side. And when you activate that intuition, you're asking God, universe, source, what's the next step for me? What's this first step that I need to take in order to work towards this goal that I have for myself, my life, my family, um, my career, whatever it may be. And as you pray, you hear something back from the other side and it's just a first step. All right. And when you hear this first step, what a lot of people do is ask the other side for more signs. We ask for like complete clarity, but it really is this first step that, you know, okay, we pray, we hear this back, do this. That first thing that we're supposed to go do is something that we choose to do or not with our own free will. So if you go act on it and you go do that one thing, what happens? As you're in the energy, of actually doing what spirit asked you to do, you get the next piece of the puzzle. But you cannot get that next piece to the puzzle unless you take the first step. You pray, you hear back, go do this. And you're like, hemming and hawing, do I do it? Do I not? Do I do it? Do I not? Go do it. Your angels say, go do it. Because when you do it energetically, it opens you up to the next step after that. And when you take action on that next step, it opens you up to the next step after that. This is what I mean when I say that some people are are either crawling, walking, or running with God universe source. For some people, it takes them six months to get up the courage to go do that one thing that they're they're hearing back in their prayers. Go do this. Takes them six months to have the courage to go do that. For some people, it takes an entire year. For some people, it takes 10 years for them to get the courage to go do that one thing. And then we look around, right? And I'm not blaming or shaming anybody. I'm just trying to give you an example so that the angels can communicate with you better. What happens is then we look around when things aren't happening for us and we go, why? God, why? Why isn't it happening for me? Why aren't things coming through for me? Because you are crawling with God. And sometimes we're not even moving. We're not even taking that first step. There are some people who learn, all right, I'm going to go in this direction. I've got this clarity. I want to write a book. Okay, God, universe, source, I've got the vision. I want to write the book. What's my first step? And the angels come in and say, or God, universe comes in as you're praying and says, go read this other book. 
go take this class, go talk to this person you know, go send this email, go ask this question, go research this. And you go to yourself within your own mind, you go, nope, that's not the answer. And so you delay. There are some people who don't do that. There are some people when they get that prayer within their mind, that answer within their mind, they go, all right, I'm going to go do that. I'm going to go read that book. I'm going to go talk to that person. I'm going to go ask that question. I'm going to go send that email. I'm going to go make that phone call. And as soon as they do, they're in a new energy as they're taking the action. And as they're taking the action and they're in this new energy, they get a new piece of information. And they go, okay, God, what do I do now? And God Universe Source goes, go do this. So they go do it. And then they get to that next piece and they go, what do I do now? And they hear back through their prayers, go do this. And so they go do that. Friends, this is where people start running with God Universe Source. So five times a day, 10 times a day, a hundred times a week, they're following God's directives. They're not hemming and hawing. They're just following the loving, positive messages that they're receiving through their prayers, through their intuition. And so when I look at the energy of a person who goes, Julie, why isn't it happening for me? Versus other people who are running with spirit, what you're seeing is actually a mathematical number of these are how many directives one person has gotten from God Universe Source that they've followed through on. And this other person over here has followed through on 5,000 within one year, whereas another person is waiting to take action on one. And again, friends, I'm not blaming, shaming, trying to create a negative energy within you at all. I'm trying to show you what happens when you're living a spiritual life and running with spirit. So I know this is a long enough intro. Listen to it a couple of times. I'm only going to leave it up in February. And I want you to pause right now and I want you to tune in and I want you to pray. And I want you to say, God, universe, source, what's my goal? Where am I going? And once you have clarity on that, ask, what's the first thing I need to take action on? What's the first thing I need to do? Go do that, friends. That is going to help you run with your angels. And it is going to take you to living a life far beyond your wildest dreams. You're going to be shocked. And I want you to write into me and I want you to let me know when you start to see a difference in your life because you're following this method. I love you so much, friends. Have a beautiful, beautiful, blessed day. And I'll see you back here this week. Love you.